This sermon, The Triumphal Entry, was preached by Derek Overstreet on April 2nd, 2023 at Sovereign Grace Church. Mark 11 begins, this chapter this morning begins the most significant week in the history of the world. We just made a significant announcement about our church and our church's finances. But this text that we are looking at begins the most significant week in the history of the world. Life and death, joy and misery, hope and despair, heaven and hell lie in the balance of what happens over this next week in the gospel of Mark. We call it the Passion Week or the Holy Week. And I want to encourage you to invite your family and friends to join us next week as we celebrate the life-giving resurrection of Jesus. Join us at 7 o'clock this Friday night as we focus on the sin-atoning crucifixion of Jesus on Good Friday. But today, it's Palm Sunday. Next week is coming But today it's Palm Sunday, the Passion Week, and it begins with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So hopefully you are there. Would you stand with me and let's read God's word together. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now. Now. When they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And when they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late... He went out to Bethany with the 12. Maybe seated, please pray with me. Lord, thank you for your undeserved and overwhelming goodness to our church. Lord, what a wonderful thing to stand up here and say, we we believe that you will provide to pay this property off. But Lord... That is simply, ultimately, an earthly situation that you are at work in. What we're about is eternity. What we are about is not bucks and buildings and bodies. 
but a crucified and risen Savior who brings us eternal life through the forgiveness of the sins, who provides the righteousness your glory demands, and who has written our names in the book of life, who holds our future in his hands and has promised one day you will come. We will see you face to face. We will become as you are, and we will worship at your feet forever. Lord, that is who we are because that is what you have said about us in Jesus. So help us now. Help us now as we come to your word. Change us, transform us, challenge us, convict us, encourage us, strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen. R.C. Sproul uh, one time said, when we get to heaven we will all find out how much doctrine we really got wrong. <laughs> I love it. If, if R.C. Sproul can say that, that makes me feel good about all the, all the questions that I can't answer. And then he said this. However, the fact that we're in heaven means that we got right what we needed to get right. We got Jesus right. We didn't miss Jesus. Now, R.C. Sproul would also tell you that that is all by the grace of God alone. But you see his point. His point is Jesus is everything. If you miss Jesus, you miss everything. If you have everything but you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. <laughs> the triumphal entry is an amazing public celebration of Jesus. The, the praises of the crowd, as we will see, they were theologically spot on. They were the things they were chanting and yelling to Jesus, they were doctrinally sound. The prophets of old even had pointed to this very moment, as we will see. And yet, it seems that they missed Jesus. Even in this triumphal entry, they missed. Jesus, we're going we're to learn that by the end of our story, the crowds have disappeared. And Jesus stands alone. They missed Jesus. And frankly, the world has been missing Jesus ever since. And whether we perceive it or not, we have much in common with those in this passage, even as Christians, having received Jesus fully by grace never to lose him, yet we, we, can, we can miss him amid the allure of the world. We can miss him amid the utter evil of our society. We can miss Jesus in the tyranny of the ordinary, if you will, even as Christians, we are prone to miss Jesus as the point and purpose of our lives. For those who don't know Jesus and you're here this morning, your eternity is at stake. I hope this is a triumphal day for you today because Jesus comes to you and reveals himself to you. For the Christian in the room, 
your joy in this life and God's glory through your life is at stake. I hope today is a triumphal Sunday for you as the Lord encourages you and convicts you and changes you through this passage. For those of you who are taking points, I have three points this morning. The deliberate, the deliberate details, the royal reception, and finally the unexpected ending. Let's look at our first point, the, the deliberate details. Our story here in Mark 11, it finds Jesus and the disciples on the outskirts of Jerusalem, and, and Mark tells us that large crowds are forming around him. Uh, on no doubt, the word of the blind Bartimaeus, who Jesus just healed, has been going around. No doubt people are aware that this is the Jesus who healed, or not healed, who raised Lazarus from the dead. And oh, of course, the, 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 the Passover pilgrimage is full on. And so there are people everywhere. They spot Jesus and the crowds begin to form. There he is. That's the guy. <laughs> and in the midst of all that, Mark says, from the Mount of Olives, Jesus tells two unnamed disciples, because ultimately their names aren't important. Jesus is the hero of this story. He instructs two unnamed disciples to go into the small village of Bethphage and get a colt. Notice what verse 2 says. And Jesus said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here. You know, Mark is not big on details as a writer. He just, he just isn't. His MO is to move quickly from one scene to another. He, he used, immediately is his favorite word. In, in, in his gospel, he uses the word immediately 36 times, 32 of those are before chapter 11. They're in chapters 1 through 10. Two of them are in our text. There's only two more coming. There's only two more coming. And so Mark, the point is Mark, Mark begins to slow down in chapter 11. The first 10 chapters cover three years. The, the final six chapters cover one week. And Mark gets detailed. And since Mark is not known for his details, when we get details from Mark, that's our cue to sit up and pay attention. Mark, why all the details? Well, because I want you to get something. Amen. And the details he uses in these verses, well, they are meant to display the divine sovereignty of Jesus. In verses 4 through 6, we read the things that Jesus said would happen in verses 2 through 3. They happened exactly as he said. They found a colt tied up when they went into the city, just as Jesus had said in verse 2. And in verse 4 and 5, when they untied the colt. When they found the colt, someone asked them, what are you doing with the colt? 
just as Jesus said they would in verse 3. And then finally, they told them exactly what Jesus instructed them to say when asked about the colt, and the people let them take the colt, just as Jesus had said would happen in verse 3. Mark, what's up with the repetition? Why the detail? Well, we read that and we realize that this entrance into Jerusalem has been initiated and carefully planned right down to a colt that has never been sat on by Jesus himself. Every step of the way in this triumphal entry is deliberate and purposeful to show us one thing. Christ's complete control over the circumstances. That's important. Because in five days, Jesus will be dead. In just five days. Friday, Jesus dies. But he does not ride into this city as a victim. Mark wants us to know Jesus will be betrayed, but he will not be betrayed as a victim. He will be arrested, but he will not be arrested as a victim. He will not be beaten within inches of his life as a victim. Jesus will not be murdered on a cross as a victim. His his deliberate preparation reveals that he is in total control of everything that is about to happen, even his death on the cross. And this is important because we live in a society who loves to be the victim. Everyone is a victim. Everyone is a victim. You go get counseling, you will become a victim. You go see a lot of people, you will become a victim. Something happens bad in your life, it's probably because you're a victim. Victim, victim, victim is the cry of our culture and society today. Mark makes it clear Jesus was not a victim. He was in control every step of the way. And there's a huge implication even as we begin this Easter week. If we believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and we do, guess what? That means that he's in complete control, and that includes your life. That includes whatever situation you have going on. Whatever is happening in your life today, you are not a victim. To the contrary, you are under the personal care of your loving and sovereign shepherd. Your trials, your victories, your triumphs, your defeats, your discouragements, whatever is going on, the Lord has not wound you up and said, I'll see you on the other side, hopefully. He is at work orchestrating. We call it the providence of God. 
Just think of that as the outworking of his sovereignty in the details of your life. So more than just some instructions that happen to go the way Jesus said, there's a promise and a hope for us here, isn't it? And whatever's going on in your life, be reminded this morning, God is in control. And what he's most concerned about is, will you trust him with that control? Do you believe that he has the details of your life? And do you believe the Proverbs when it says, even the, the lot or the flip of a coin is determined by a sovereign God? So much of our life as believers, so much of how our faith is worked out day in, day out, is saying, Lord, I don't like what I see. I don't know how this is going to end, but you got it. And I'm just going to keep my eyes on you and follow you wherever this goes. It's a promise. It's not merely a philosophy or a particular approach to life. It is truth. It's not just true, it's truth itself. And so we see these deliberate details exalt the character and the sovereignty. They announce, if you will, the divinity of Jesus himself. And in fact, that's what we see in our next point, this royal reception. Point number two, the royal reception. As Jesus enters Jerusalem, the scene in verses 8 through 10, man, I say, this is like, I've never been to one. I would love to go to one. But this is almost like a Super Bowl champion parade. By the way, I've watched five of those on TV in Denver, so I'm just saying. Move on. I mean, people are everywhere. Mark says they're the crowds are before him and behind him. But unlike a Super Bowl champion prayed, at the heart is not a team. It's a man. One man. The disciples, nobody's yelling at this to the disciples. They're, they're just there. Maybe they're doing crowd control. Who knows? And this scene once again, reveals something about Jesus. He enters the city prophetically. There is revelation happening here of who Jesus is. And the imagery of Jesus riding into Jerusalem would have invoked the, inaugura the inauguration, the celebration of King Solomon in 1 Kings 1. Do you remember that? When he rode into Jerusalem on a What? on a donkey. Or even more likely, the, the words of one of the last men to speak to God's people, the, the, the prophet Zechariah, he prophesied the coming king this way. Listen. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a donkey. Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem captures the humility of our Savior that the prophets foretold about, but it also captures his greatness as the promised one. 
Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey above all things is a way without using his words to say, see me. I am the fulfillment of the Old Testament messianic prophecy. See me. I, I am your promised king. See me. I am your Messiah. See me. Jesus could have snuck in. But in God's wisdom, he, he puts his son on display. And just as Zechariah called the people to shout in praise of the king, notice how this crowd responds to Jesus. Look at verse 8. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. They were taking off their coats. People were throwing their robes onto the road. That was an ancient expression of reverence and submission to the king. They are laying down palms. Those were the branches in their hands. That was a symbol of Jewish nationalism, and, and it, was a, it, was, it, it was an expression of victory has come. All of this action, it's a primitive form of the royal red carpet treatment, if you will. And notice, they were shouting things at him. Verse 9, and those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming, or blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest you know what to shout Hosanna meant? It meant save us. Save us now. It was a cry for salvation. To say that Jesus comes in the name of the Lord was to acknowledge that, that he's from God. This is no ordinary person. He's from God. He comes bearing the purposes of God. These shouts are actually from Psalm 118. It says, save us, Hosanna, save us. We pray, O Lord, O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. In their enthusiasm, they, they added their own words to, uh, to Psalm 118 because there's some missing there. But you see what they're saying. Their theology is sound. Their doctrine is right as they recognize who Jesus is, at least for the moment. Over and over, back and forth, the people were singing these lines from Psalm 118 as they escorted, as they, if you acted as an entourage for the Messiah into the city of Jerusalem. What Jesus was saying with his actions, the people were saying with their voices. But this exhilarating moment does have an unexpected ending. 
I mean, just could you imagine have been there? What that must have been like, getting caught up, the hopefulness, the pomp, the circumstance. And so it's a bit of an unexpected ending in verse 11. It says, and he, that is Jesus, entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Bethany's where Jesus stayed. Malachi 3.1 says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Yes, Malachi, here he is in the temple, the promised one, standing in the Lord's temple, just as it was prophesied. The one who tabernacled among us, the messenger of the new covenant, who would mediate that new covenant, not with his words, not with pen and paper, but with his very blood. Here he is, just as was prophesied, standing in the very place that for Jerusalem, for the Jew, was the place that was the heart of their worship. And what he sees, according to the following passage, we're not going there today, but I encourage you to to read it and study it, where he compares, he tells the, the, the parable of the fig tree, and then he compares its fruitfulness or lack of fruitfulness to the temple. Where no doubt, as Jesus even now stands in the temple, he looks around and he realizes this place is not fulfilling the purposes of God in his people. It has become fruitless. No doubt, as Jesus in verse 11 stands in the temple, he also knows what he is about to do and that it will change everything. In Jesus, the physical temple is about to become a living temple. In Jesus, the endless sacrifices give way to a once-for-all sacrifice. In Jesus, the way to God is not through brick and mortar, but flesh and blood of the promised one. You see this 
We call it the triumphal entry. But really, it was a death march. In mere days, these same crowds will be shouting at Jesus again. Their shouts of, Hosanna, save us, on Palm Sunday will turn to, crucify him on Good Friday. The palms that that acknowledge Jesus as the king on Palm Sunday will give way. Oh, they'll still call him king, only it'll be an inscription above his bloody head that says, King of the Jews. And on the cross, in darkness, in silence, in loneliness, Jesus will do his kingly work, the work that will triumph over sin and death. Oh, these people were looking for a mighty warrior, weren't they? They were looking for someone who would come and redeem and liberate them from Rome. It would finally set them on the map as they deserved in their minds. But that is not the kind of kingly work he would do. Jesus came to Jerusalem to liberate God's people, yes, but not from Rome, but from Satan and sin and death. Jesus will deliver God's people on the cross, not with a sword, but with a spear into his side, with spikes driven into his hands and his feet, with blood flowing down. Blood that, that washes away even the dirtiest sin. Did you hear that? Because if you're here this morning, I dare say we all have some secret sin. No doubt varying degrees. But if you're here this morning, maybe it's your first time here. Perhaps you're here every Sunday. But you're thinking, oh, but pastor, but I've done this. Oh, pastor, you you don't know where I've been. You don't know the things I've seen. You don't know the places or the, 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 the people I've hurt. No, I don't. And you don't know about me either. But God does. And at one time... You were under his wrath for those things. But if you have faith in Jesus, those things are gone. The blood that is about to flow from Golgotha in just a few days washes even your most horrific sin away. It's gone. Psalm 103 says it is as far as the east is from the west. So whatever you have done, whatever comes to mind, get over yourself. Quit thinking so highly of yourself. God is greater than your sin. (laughs) See how that is? (laughs) It's just pride. Well, the Lord can't cover this sin that I did. Oh, yes, he can. This is what Jesus came 
to Jerusalem to do. I hope you come on Friday because we are going to focus on one thing. What really happened on the cross. And we are going to do it in a way that will be hard to hear. Oh, but it'll be food for your soul. Do you know, there's an interesting irony in Mark's account here in verse 11. Matthew's account of the triumphal entry, it ends with Matthew saying that the entire city was stirred up. Luke's account ends, he tells us that that even the rocks wanted to cry out in praises. But Mark's report is significant for what does not happen. He ends with the king standing alone in the temple. Do you notice that in verse 11? And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. He's not there as a tourist. He's there to assess. No doubt his heart was weeping as he contemplated what the temple had become. We can say that because the very next day he he cleanses that temple. (laughs) But as Jesus stands in the temple... The celebration here seems to be over. Did you notice that? The praises have ceased. Yeah, I I know it's late. Mark says it's late. I get it. But, But this is Passover week. The city is alive with people here to celebrate and worship God. And the temple was at the center of that worship. And to make it more, even more interesting, guess who's in the temple on this Passover? The Lord of the house is in the house of the Lord. (laughs) Jesus is here. Where have y'all gone? (laughs) Isn't this what we've been waiting for? Where are the worshipers shouting, Hosanna, save us now. Where are the priests singing, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord as he moves from the court of Gentiles deeper into the temple. Where? Where are the temple's attendants greeting Jesus as that one who brings the kingdom of David? It seems the party is over. They celebrated Jesus They were emotional and enthusiastic about Jesus. They had a mountaintop experience with Jesus. They made him king, but only for a day. James Edwards says, the whole scene comes to nothing. The crowd disperses as mysteriously as it assembled. And then he makes this observation. He says, this is what Mark is teaching us. 
Jesus is not confessed in pomp and circumstance, but only at the cross. Just as Jesus promised, just as the Old Testament and the prophets promised, Jesus came to them. But I think by the end of the day, they missed him. They missed him. One would think they would have never left his side. I'll sleep tomorrow night. I'll mow the grass this weekend. The Lord of the house is in the house of the Lord. They missed him. And that'll very much be on display in a matter of days when they kill him. They missed Jesus. Have you missed Jesus? Are you missing him even right now? Have you become so distracted? The day in, day out, you're not sure what all this is about. Listen, I think there can be three people in response. There can be more, but you only give me an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning. I think there's three people here that this sermon, this triumphal entry can speak to. I think person one, you like church. It feels good to be here. You enjoy your Christian friends. They are good people. And it's a good life that you see them living. But you don't have what they have. You don't have Jesus in your heart. You've never repented of your sin and trusted Jesus for your salvation. You've never put your faith in the one who stands in the temple of the Lord in verse 11. The one who is now the temple of the Lord. You have missed him. You you have tasted. You sit in these chairs and you have an experience and you like it. It seems good. It seems right. But it doesn't go any farther than that. You, you have missed Jesus. And what that means for you right now is that whatever you believe you have found here, you really have nothing. Because there's no one in this room that can stand in your stead on the day of judgment. There is no experience that God will apply apart from the experience of repentance and faith, conversion to your sins. Let me say that differently. That didn't come off right. 
You know what I mean by that. The only way to God is repentance and faith. And that comes through his mercy towards you. There's no other way. Don't, I, I appeal to you, don't miss Jesus again today. See him. See him. He is the only one who can save you. Yes, you need to be saved because just like the rest of us, you are a sinner. If you don't know, you know the difference is between you and the believer who's sitting in front of you? Their sin is, is forgiven. <laughs> They're a sinner just like you. I'm a sinner just like you. It's just by grace through faith, my sin is no longer counted against me. See Jesus. See him today by crying out in repentance and faith. Let your cry literally be, Hosanna. Lord, save me. Be merciful to me. I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. Don't let me miss him again today. Person number two, maybe this is you. You love the Lord, and it shows, especially on Sundays. You're here, you're singing, you're serving, you're giving generously. But if you're honest, Monday through Saturday, you are the king of your life. Monday through Saturday, you, well, you live the way you want to live. Listen, the picture in verse 11, just look at that verse for a moment. Put that picture, Jesus standing alone in the temple. The, the, the picture of him standing alone in the temple, let it remind you let it remind you that he must stand in your heart in the same way, alone. He alone is the Lord of your life. He alone is the king of your life. He alone stands as your savior. He alone stands as your joy. Don't, if that's you... Don't miss Jesus. See him today by asking him to graciously reorder the priorities of your life. There is no such thing as a Sunday morning Christian. Jesus said you must pick up your cross daily. He was, he was saying, I save you from your sins and I shape your life every day. Maybe this is you. And I would just submit to you that person two and person three, if you're a Christian, it's probably all of us at some time and point in life, perhaps multiple times. So if you're going, no, I know Jesus, person one, check that box. Person two, no, I'm good. Be careful. <laughs> Here's person three. Maybe this is you. 
Like person number two, you genuinely love the Lord. You are grateful for his blessings in your life. However, when life seems more like a curse than a blessing, you know what I mean by that? When hardships appear, when suffering surfaces, your praises vanish like the crowds in Jerusalem. I've experienced this one myself over the last couple weeks as I have had some things happen that I have not responded well to, to say the least, (laughs) at all times. And in that, the Lord has reminded me. The Lord has reminded me. Oh, so when life gets hard, suddenly I'm not the good shepherd. Suddenly, the praises vanish. If that's you, don't miss Jesus. Hear this. He is worthy of your praises in good and bad times. See Jesus today by bringing your burden to him. Laying it down. Trusting him with it and finding your joy in him. See, that's the key. Lord, here is my burden. I bring it to you now. I resolve in my heart by the power of your spirit who is more than able to find my joy. Not in this. I give this to you. I give this hardship to you. I trust you with it. I will follow you through it. I will do by your grace what you require of me. Not as some some slave, but as a child of God, adopted into your family. And I will find my joy up here. Not here. I will find my joy in a person, not a situation. I will find my joy In a person who gave his life for me, not a temporary circumstance that is here today and gone tomorrow. Is that you? Let your heart this morning sing, blessed is he, even when life feels like a curse. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For he has established his kingdom in your heart. And it is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so we can stand in joy and say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And do that knowing this. 
he will not fail you. He will never fail you. How do I know that? Because of what he is about to do in just days. And you heard it last week. I wish I would have been here. I had to watch it online. I always miss not being with you guys when you gather on Sunday, for sure. But you heard about it on Sunday. He who did not spare his own son, how will he not give you all things? And all means what in the Greek? All. (laughs) He will not fail you. Let's pray. Oh, Father, don't let us miss you this morning. We are so grateful that as you made this death march into Jerusalem to die on the cross, Lord, that you did not miss us. (laughs) You had us in mind. Lord, next Sunday we will understand why this death march truly was a triumphal entry because it will lead to the triumph of Satan and sin and death for all those who by your grace believe in you. And so I pray now for anyone in this room who doesn't know you, save them Let Hosanna be their cry. For those of us who know you, but yet too often we miss you. Oh, Lord, bring us back mercifully. Draw us back to you. Show us where we go after broken cisterns instead of your your promises. Help us to love righteousness more and hate our sin more. Help us to learn to praise you with our lips in good times and bad times more and more. Help us to trust you with everything in our lives and help us to stand on that great promise that one day there will be the ultimate triumphal entry. It will come through the skies. You will return for your people. You will establish your kingdom fully and finally. No more sin. No more sorrow. No more suffering. And you will rule and reign with your, with your people forever. And that's us. And so we thank you. Don't let us miss you today. In Jesus' name.